Blessed first Sunday of Lent, and I can't think of a better set of readings for the first Sunday of Lent than the ones we just heard. They are so filled with such beautiful imagery, such powerful words to remind us of the importance of Lent. Why do we need to have Lent every year other than the fact that we're a fallen being? Make no mistake, that first reading from Genesis, I mean, the Bible begins with this story of Adam and Eve. And we all know the story so well, don't we? We, we, we hear the story and, and we go, oh yeah, yeah, that Adam and Eve, and, and they ate of the fruit, and then all of a sudden their eyes were opened, and, and, and all of a sudden, you know, they, they, they realized that they were naked and they covered up. But if it doesn't mean something to you personally, go read it again. I was reading a book when I was doing some of my research. It was written by a priest more than 100 years ago. And he said it so eloquently. He said it so perfectly. He was talking with a friend of his, and he said, and my friend then turns to me. We were talking about another, another person, and he said, oh, yeah, he's, his, he's got a good nature. He's a good guy. Don't worry about it. And that's when he realized just how much the lie has embedded itself in our culture. And this is more than 100 years ago, he sees it starting to happen. How we basically will say, oh, he's got a, basically he's a good person, right? Like, you're basically a good person. What we're trying to say is that, well, we don't want to hurt others. We don't do terrible things. But yet still sometimes we sin. And still sometimes we we go through these, these difficult moments and times. He said, no, if you really truly are going to be a believer and you're going to read the scriptures, our nature is fundamentally corrupt. Now, I know for some people that bothers you. The human nature was corrupted and we just heard how it happened. Adam and Eve were the first to sin and since then transmitted in our nature as human beings is this concupiscence, this corruption. And so we see ourselves, and we have to see ourselves through the lens of that corruption, because if we don't, sin runs rampant. And so, yes, we are fundamentally, at our core, corrupt. Can you accept that? Because if you're having a hard time with that, the rest of what I'm going to say is really going to be difficult to hear. We have to start there. And generation after generation after generation. I mean, if you want proof of human corruption, read any newspaper on any given day. What is highlighted in every headline? Another corrupted human nature left unchecked did corrupted things. We call them sins. We read about drugs and alcohol and guns and killing and murder and theft and all of these horrific things. And we all say, well, you know what? Let's just pass another law and that will fix it. Have any of the laws we've passed stopped drunk driving? Have any of the laws we've passed stopped the corrupt human heart from taking drugs, from doing some of the things that they do? Pass all the laws you want. But if you leave one part of the equation out, which is that our nature is fundamentally corrupt, then you will never find the solution. And so, St. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, 
If there is any better piece of writing that St. Paul did, it doesn't get any better than what we just heard. Now, I'm sure all of you remember exactly what Paul just said, right? Because we Catholics were so attuned when we listened to the scriptures to say, oh yeah, I got that, that was, that was great, wasn't it? St. Paul just pointed out all of salvation history. From one came sin, and from that time onward, sin manifested itself throughout history, and it still does. But what was the solution that God gave us? Jesus Christ. Through the righteousness of the one, the unrighteousness of the one was undone. And so what does he talk about? We talk about grace. Grace. Grace is a miraculous power that heals our souls, that removes the corruption that we have inherited. It removes the corruption. You know, every now and then something happens. This morning I was listening to my catechism in the year with Father Mike Schmitz, and it's a great, if you haven't started it, start it. But today's matches perfectly with today's readings. The section he did from the catechism was exactly this. He was talking about the fall of one and the reparation by the other. And so without the grace of Christ, we were stuck. We will continue along the wrong path. But with the grace of Christ, we are transformed. We are healed. We are corrected. And isn't that what we want? See, when we say somebody's basically a good person, what we mean is the grace of Christ can be an active principle in that person to transform their corruption into virtue, to go from the sinfulness to the beauty of God's creation as we were in the beginning. It doesn't get any better than this. You know, I, that, I, there has been this tendency, even within the church, to try to push aside the miraculous, to try to push aside the supernatural. I was in my first assignment and some parents came up to me and they were very upset. And you know, sometimes when you're at the door of the church and you just finish saying mass and someone's very upset, you think it's something you said. It wasn't something I said. So I felt really good about that. But then my ego got in the way because I said, oh, it wasn't me, so I'm okay. What happened was they had spent a lot of money to send their child to Holy Trinity Diocesan High School. And their child had come home and said, well, today we learned in our Bible class that Adam and Eve never really existed, that it's just some mythical story that they gave us so that we could understand that, you know, maybe we had an origin somewhere. And they were very upset at that. And, and I said to them, well, I, I don't know what the teacher said. I don't know exactly what the teacher said. So it's kind of hard for me to comment. I mean, basically what I was trying to do is get out of the conversation because once you get into a conversation like that, it can get very thick, very sticky. And, and they, they pressed and they said, no, was there ever really an Adam and Eve? And I said, of course there was. Well, then why are we paying all of this money to be told that there wasn't? I didn't have an answer, but it's things like that. Theologians, pastors, and others who have watered down scripture after scripture after scripture so that it really wasn't all that supernatural. So did God create a man and a woman? Did God have an interaction with this man and woman? Did this man and woman's own self-centered pride bring down the entirety of our nature? Yes. Yes. And that's why in a couple of weeks, 
We are going to sing those words during the exalted. O necessary sin, O happy fault that gave us so great a Savior. Boom! That's it right there. Of course there was a first sin. Of course there was an original sin. Otherwise, what are you sitting here for? Why did you come today? What are you looking for? To just check another box on your list? To just get away with it? To just say, oh yeah, I went, therefore I'm good. I'm basically good because I went to church today, so therefore I get into heaven. Unnecessary fault. No, I'm a sinner. As I said on Ash Wednesday, I admit it. Until I can admit I have a corrupted nature, I can't pursue the solution. Jesus really is the one. He really is. You know, I was on a pilgrimage in Egypt, and it was a lovely pilgrimage. I mean, if you've never been, like people speak of the Holy Land and they think of Israel. Israel is the promised land. The Holy Land includes all of the Jordan and Egypt where the people wandered all those years and all of those great miracles took place. The parting of the Red Sea, the striking of the rock and water came out, the feeding with manna, all of these tremendous miracles. And as we're going through these deserts and as we're looking at these different things and I'm reading different passages and, I'm, and, I, and I actually said, like, could you imagine the parting of the Red Sea and there you are and suddenly it opens up and you can walk right through to the other side. And this woman, and I remember she was from California. I don't know why that part stuck in my head. Maybe there's something about it. This woman from California says, oh, no, 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 that's not what happened. I said, what? She says, that's not what happened. Just there was a good wind blowing that night, and it dried up the seabed. And every time I said another one of the miracles, she had one of these naturalistic explanations. So I finally, after like the third day, I said, did you go to a Jesuit college? She was, yeah, how did you know? I said, oh, I can tell. We're not going to water down any longer. My dear brothers and sisters, God parted the Red Sea. God did provide bread for his people in the desert. God did send his own son to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. And it was miraculous. And we can fast too. We can follow the example of Jesus. You know, if we keep watering it down, keep watering it down, he's just another great figure of history. So he had some inspiring words, but he was nobody special. All of Lent this year, we're about to hear some very unbelievable, incredible, beautiful stories of Jesus. We're going to hear about the transfiguration. We're going to hear about Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well. We're going to hear how Jesus heals a man blind from birth. We're going to hear how he raises Lazarus from the dead. Wow! Does it get any better as a believer to say Jesus really is the one and the grace he imparts to you and me is to correct that fault, to change our sins, to deliver us and give us hope and redemption, to transform our corruption into something beautiful so that we can be beauty in the world. So you have a choice for the next few weeks. And I place the choice before you. Believe or explain. Believe in Jesus Christ or explain him away. But it comes with a price, my dear brothers and sisters. If you say you believe, it comes with a price. It means you have to change. 
That's what Lent is all about. It means you have to give something up. You have to start fasting. You have to start praying. You have to start giving. You have to start loving. Sin is a wedge in every relationship. And if there are wedges in your relationships, sin is present. The devil wants to break us up. He wants to tear us apart. If there's someone in your life with whom you have a wedge, sin is there. The devil is at work. That's what he's trying to do to Jesus and the devil. I want to rip you from this mission. I don't want you to save people. And so what does he do? He appeals to his pride. Now, we all have to deal with the deadly sin of pride. There are seven deadly sins. But this week, how does Jesus defeat the devil? With humility. And humility directly counteracts pride. I don't know how many of you sitting here could be hungry after 40 days. I mean, 40 days he was in the desert. 40 days he was hungry. It, it tells us. How many of us here, if we had the power to change the stones into bread, would do it? But in humility, he said, no, I know who I am. I know who God is. I'm okay with that. And so, are we making a commitment as a parish because we can't do this alone? We can't do it alone. That's why Jesus wants us to pray for one another. That's why Jesus wants to heal one another, help us to heal one another. That's why Jesus keeps asking us to embrace one another, to care for one another. When our hearts are truly transformed, nobody would ever be hungry. Nobody would ever have to go through difficult moments because we would be there together to lift each other up, to transform that suffering into redemption. So make a commitment. Are you going to join us on Monday nights for our healing holy hours? Are you going to be part of the process to bring about a change for you or for someone else? To be here praying for someone who needs your prayers? To be bringing someone to the Lord Jesus? Will you start to consider now whether or not you want to be part of the 99, which we're going to be doing later in Lent? Are you going to consider now whether or not you're going to read the books that we're providing for just a, a discounted price of $10, this book called Be Healed? It's a phenomenally wonderful book. This is a doctor, a, a social scientist, a psychologist who is in a healing ministry. He prayed over a woman whose leg had been damaged as a child and the leg grew back. He's not making this up. Miracles do happen. Do you believe? Do you believe? Jesus really is the one. And if you really believe, Something's got to change because the way we're going today is in the opposite direction. Let's get back to that wonder and awe. Let's get back to that reality that Jesus isn't kidding. He's not a joke. He's not just another mythical figure. He is the Lord, the Savior, the healer of all souls, the imparter of grace, the giver of divine love for you and for me so that we can rip out every wedge that has been driven between us and anybody else, including God. And so I ask you, my dear brothers and sisters, join me this Lent. Join us all. Come together. Pray that God descend upon us, this church, this parish, and transform us so that the miracles can once again truly begin to happen in our midst. If anybody here doesn't want miracles, then don't come. But if you want to see something different, Make a promise and do it. God love you.